0: Back in college, I went on an outward-bound type wilderness learning experience called Vanguards. We spent about three weeks in the wilds of Michigan's Upper Peninsula, canoeing, climbing, backpacking, and soloing. Trip got off to a pretty good start, and after a few days of paddling on a river, we put on our packs and hiked to the top of a rugged peak high above a beautiful spot called Lake of the Clouds. There on the top of the mountain, we spent a few uh, hours rock climbing and rappelling off the cliff back and forth. When we were all done, we kind of spread out on top of the mountain, enjoying the view, catching some rays, munching on the last bits of candy we had stuffed into our backpacks before we left. By this time, we were getting to know each other a little bit, the group of us, and so we had a great time laughing and joking and bragging about our exploits to that point. And as we sat up there enjoying the view and the sunshine, we were all saying to ourselves, Vanguard's is great. I mean, this is what wilderness learning is all about. Just about that time, our group leader sidled up alongside of us and pointed out that we really didn't have very much food left and that our next cache of supplies was 30 miles away. Now, it was getting late in the afternoon at this point, but we figured if uh, we only had one meal left and 30 miles of bushwhacking to do, we'd better get started. So we put on our packs and headed down the mountain. Well, pretty soon, that warm afternoon sun had set, and it was September on the Canadian border, and it got cold. Our expedition leader that day was not very experienced with a map and compass, and so we got lost too many times and slogged our way through too many bogs. It was our first full day of hiking so blisters began to show up and one of the guys twisted an ankle. So we took out our frustrations on each other. Blaming the leader, the guy with the compass, shaming the slowpokes who were slowing us down. Eventually it got too dark to travel so we decided just to make camp for the night. And at that point we realized just how little food we actually had. A bag of dehydrated peas and two cans of Spam. Not a lot for 10 hungry college guys. So we argued over whose fault it was that we were so low on food, and then we fought over the food itself. Literally counting out the peas to make sure everyone got their fair share. Guys were offering five bucks for one slice of ham. Nobody sold. At that point, we were so tired that we just decided that ah, we didn't, didn't have enough energy to set up shelters, so we just rolled out our sleeping bags to sleep under the stars. And then it rained. <laughs> Lying there in our soggy sleeping bags that night, I'm pretty sure we were all thinking the same thing. "Vanguards stinks. <laughs> Wilderness learning is the worst. The wonder of that mountaintop experience was now just a fading memory. And we were beginning to discover what wilderness learning was really all about. Sleeping in the rain, getting blisters on your feet, running out of food, and having to get along with a bunch of guys you probably wouldn't pick for friends. And that night, I remember very vividly writing in my journal in capital letters the word I would write many times over the next three weeks, miserable. In 24 hours, we've gone from the glory of the mountaintop to the valley and the misery below. Now I tell that story for a couple of reasons. First of all, it sets us up well for a very similar experience the disciples are going to have in the story we're gonna look at today. But I also tell that story because it teaches us something about the journey of faith and about the life of mission. Now, for three months this fall, we have been considering what we're calling the divine invitation, the invitation to join hands with God as he goes about his saving, healing, restoring work in this world. We've been tagging along with Jesus as he trains the 12 for their mission to carry on his work after he's gone, which turns out to be our mission as well. And we don't have time to review all eight weeks, but let me just remind a few of the a few of the lessons we've learned along the way here. We learned that we're invited to grow as we go. In other words, we don't have to reach a certain level of spiritual maturity or Bible knowledge to be about God's work in this world. Just go, get out the door and grow as you make your way. We learned that we're invited to be good news before we bring good news. The world is tired of hearing Christians tell them how to live. So let's show them how to live. Lives of such beauty and goodness and truth that they want to find out more. We're invited to the adventure of living by the Spirit. We cannot live this life on our own strength, but God's Spirit is ready to help us with whoever and whatever life brings our way. We're invited to join the Jesus movement. Jesus started this thing called the church a grassroots movement of ordinary people living out their mission in community with each other for the good of the world. We get to be part of that. And then last week, we're invited to set aside our comfort, our preferences, and even our security for a greater good and a greater joy. God never promised us safety on our mission. What he promised us is life life to the full, now and forever. Now friends, can I tell you, I was praying over the message this morning and praying through this particular section, and I, and I prayed through those four and even eight things. It just struck me. What would happen if every Grace Chapel person began living out that mission, their mission? Imagine every week, Thousands of people scattering to schools and neighborhoods and workplaces all over greater Boston and even around the world and living lives like this. The impact it would have on the world around us, on our communities, on our lives, be incredible. So as we come to this final message in our series, as we one more time consider this divine invitation Let's allow the Lord to speak to us and call us to something new and good and powerful. We've talked a lot this fall about finding your go. Today we're gonna to learn how to sustain your go. How do we navigate the highs and lows of following Jesus and living on mission? So we're gonna join the disciples for one remarkable training day, one 24-hour period in their lives. We'll talk through the story in two parts and then pull it together. Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with them. Now we're told the event takes place six days after. Well that's six days after that conversation we've been talking about. Where Peter made that great confession, you are the Christ. And Jesus issued that great challenge, take up your cross and follow me. We learned that conversation was a turning point in the development of the disciples. So here in chapter nine, Jesus launches them on this, this new training day for the second leg of their journey. He invites three of them up a mountain. Now, we're not told what mountain it was, but chances are it was Mount Hermon, which is the area in which they were having that earlier conversation in Mark chapter 8, a beautiful mountain with great spiritual significance and a commanding view of the valley below. But notice he only took three with him, Peter, James, and John. I wonder how the other nine felt about that. Have you ever walked past a conference room at work and seen some of your colleagues and the higher-ups talking in a room, and you're wondering what they're talking about and why you're not in the meeting? I mean, we all want to be in the room, right? Where the decisions are made, when things are happening. We want to be part of the conversation. Well, nine of them were left out, but these three were there on the mountain with Jesus. But he didn't bring them there just to enjoy the view. We're told that Jesus was transfigured before them. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but clearly it means that, that they, they, they saw Jesus like they had never seen him before. The cloak of humility, of humanity was lifted from him, and they got a glimpse into his glory, the glory of the Son of God, something no one had ever seen. And not just Jesus, Elijah and Moses are there too, two of the great figures of the Old Testament representing the law and the prophets and each of them pointing towards that day when when God would bring all things together in his Messiah. And they're having a conversation, the three of them. Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, two of them have been dead for hundreds of years. What are they talking about? Hey, Jesus, how's it going down here? Oh, not bad, the weather's kind of unpredictable, but you know, I got some of my guys with me here. They got good hearts, a little slow on the uptake, but they're doing okay. What did they talk about? We don't know exactly, and we don't know whether Peter and the others could hear the conversation, but what is very clear is that this was an incredible experience. So incredible that Peter says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Now, we don't know exactly what Peter was thinking at this moment, and apparently Peter doesn't even know what Peter's thinking at this moment, but he just talks anyway. (laughs) But, But whatever was happening, he wanted to stay. Whatever was going on there, it was beautiful and powerful and transcendent like nothing they'd ever experienced before, and Peter wanted more of it. He wanted it to last. But it was going to get even better. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Jesus. They heard the voice of God speaking audibly, personally, directly to them. Have you ever sensed God speaking to you personally? Maybe through the scriptures you're reading it, maybe as you're listening to a sermon or a Bible study. maybe just the still small voice of God within you. It's a powerful moment when you sense God speaking to you. But imagine now God speaking to you directly audibly so that everyone around hears it. This is an amazing moment. Then the voice went silent, and suddenly it's just Jesus and them alone on the mountain. What a moment that must have been. If you're ever going to use the word awesome, this is the time to use that word. But now, what does it all mean? What's this experience all about? Well, to put it in a word, it's all about clarity. This was a moment of confirmation for Jesus and these three, of who Jesus was and is and what his mission was all about. Whatever doubts the disciples may have had about Jesus' deity, those doubts were vanquished in that moment. Whatever confusion they had about his mission, suffering and rejection and death, they knew now they were to listen to him. Remember, this is a turning point in the training of these 12. They're headed to the cross at this point, to the moment when Jesus is going to return to heaven and then hand the mission off to them. And Jesus is preparing them for that moment. It's going to get harder from this moment on, and so they need some assurance. They need the big picture. They need to understand that what's happening here is part of God's great story, reaching all the way back to Moses and reaching all the way forward to the fulfillment of all things at the end of the age. And these three men were going to draw on this experience for the rest of their lives. And you know how we know that? Because Peter writes about it. Decades later, in one of his letters, Peter writes these words. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. You hear what he's saying? We were there. We saw it. We heard it. We felt it. It's real. No matter what was going to happen to them in the years to come, they knew that Jesus was real. Here's my point the disciples needed this moment, these three in particular. We're going to play critical roles in the fulfillment of the mission. Peter is going to become the rock of the church. James is going to be the first apostle to die for the faith. And John is going to live the longest and write five books of the New Testament. And so they needed the courage and clarity this mountaintop moment provided. They needed it to sustain them through all the challenge and confusion that was coming in the days ahead. They needed a moment like this. And so do we. So do we need mountaintop moments like this. When things become clear, When we understand who God is, and who we are, what life is, and what our mission is all about. Chances are you've had moments like that along the way. Maybe it was that moment you you came to faith in Christ. You first opened up your heart to Him, and you sensed His presence, and a change happening in your life. It was real. Maybe it was the moment of your baptism, When you stood before a great crowd of people and publicly declared your faith in Christ and your commitment to follow him with your whole heart for your whole life. You were sure of it. Maybe it was on a retreat somewhere where you sensed God's presence like never before. Maybe it was on a mission trip where you discovered the joy of serving others in Jesus' name and you knew this is what you were made to do. We need moments like that. Child dedications can be moments like that. They can be peak experiences in the life of a family. As parents publicly, thank God for the gift of their child and invite his help to raise those children in the ways of God. It's a great moment. And if you make through the whole thing with the child not throwing up on the pastor, it's a really great moment. One to remember. We need moments like that from time to time. In fact, we need moments like that on a regular basis. And here's the wonderful thing. These moments are available to us every seven days. You don't have to climb a mountain to get them. You just have to show up for worship. A few weeks ago, Karen and I were uh, attending a conference and happened to be down in South Carolina in the Charleston area. We were there over weekends, so when Sunday rolled around, we had a chance to visit Seacoast Church, which is one of the first, Seacoast is one of the first multi-site churches in the country. We learned a lot from them back at the beginning of our multi-site journey, and so I was happy to get back there again and, and just take a few notes and see how they did things. But I'll have to admit that I was feeling a little bit flat and a little bit worn out as I headed into worship that day. We're kind of halfway through the fall season and that's always a demanding time of preaching and teaching and getting the church year started and launching Foxborough and all that happened in September and October. And I was already feeling the press of the busy days ahead, Global Awareness Week and the Advent season. So all that's on my mind and heart as we walked into worship that day. But it didn't take long for those opening songs of worship to capture my imagination and take me out of those worries and anxieties. It's a wonderful thing to worship when you're not in charge of the service. <laughs> you just don't care if the mic doesn't work, or the sound isn't right, or the awkward transitions. It just, it's a great experience. <laughs> At one point, they introduced a new song, a new worship song. I'd never heard it before, called So Will I. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If creation still obeys you, so will I. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. think it was a powerful moment for me. God, was, God found me in my seat that day. Now, I'm not a regular hand raiser, but my hands went up in that worship service. Because God was speaking to me. He was meeting me there in that moment. I was reminded of who God is and who I am and why we're here and what he's calling me to. After the message, we were invited to a moment of response to to go to one of several stations that were set up around the room. And, And so I found myself at one of those stations lighting a candle as a symbol of my renewed prayer to answer and fulfill God's call on my life. It was a very meaningful moment for me and I've reflected on it many times since then. Friends, we all need moments like that on a regular basis. And they're available to us every Sunday as we come together for worship. The same Father, Son, and Spirit who were with Peter, James, and John on that mountain, that same God is present with us every time we gather in His name Every Sunday, we get to be in the room when the Spirit is at work. We get to sing songs that remind us of who God is and His power and love and beauty. We get to rub shoulders with other seekers and believers who encourage us on our journey of faith. We get to hear God speak through the scriptures and by His work of His Spirit in our hearts. Don't underestimate the importance of weekly worship in your journey of faith and in your life of mission. This fall we've shared with you a couple of times what we're calling five steps of engagement, five action steps we all can take as we live out our faith. We've been challenging ourselves to worship weekly, belong to a group, serve on a team, give generously, and find your go. All five of those steps are incredibly important, but notice that they begin with and flow from and circle back to worship. I know there are many, many things competing for our time and attention when Sunday rolls around, and I know you can catch up with the service online if, you're, if you can't be here, and that's great if you're sick or traveling. But friends, it is not like being in the room when the Spirit is at work. Parents, I'm glad you brought your children today to dedicate them before the Lord. That's a wonderful thing to do. But what your kids really need and what you really need is to be in God's house with God's people every single week for the rest of their lives. We need these weekly moments If you and I are gonna sustain our go over the long haul, we need mountaintop moments from time to time and even on a regular basis. Now, if you're watching online right now and you're feeling a little guilty, (laughs) don't worry, I can't see you. I don't know who you are. God does. (laughs) We'll see you soon. So we need moments like that. But you know, as wonderful as those moments are, as my vanguard buddies and I learned, they don't last. They're not supposed to last. Because the wilderness learning doesn't really begin. And the life of mission doesn't really begin until we make our way down from the mountain to the valley below, to the mean streets of everyday life. Where a fallen world and broken people are waiting for Jesus and his followers to please show up. So let's look at the second leg of this training day. Pick it up at verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. You see what's happening? The confusion is already beginning. Five minutes ago, it was all crystal clear. They've just begun down the mountain, they're going, wait a second, what does rising from the dead mean again? It's gonna get worse. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, you have to feel for the other nine guys here, don't you? I mean, here they are knocking themselves out in the trenches, trying to minister to this father and son and everybody else. Not doing a very good job of it. And also, here comes Jesus and the other three and they're glowing from their time on top of the mountain. No wonder the nine failed. There were three best guys, Peter, James, and John, were up on the mountain. Imagine the Patriots without Brady, Gronkowski, and Hightower on the field. Believe me, I imagine that all the time. But they still have Belichick, so either way. All kidding aside this this is an ugly scene. And we have a troubled boy and his desperate father. We have the disciples failing miserably in front of a great crowd of people. We have the religious leaders carping and sniping from around the edges. And we have the crowd gawking at the whole thing like people watching a house burn. This is an awful moment. Everything that was wrong with the world was on display in this moment. And it was such a contrast to the clarity and the camaraderie that enjoyed on that mountaintop that even Jesus could hardly take it. He says, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And we know how this feels, right? We know how quickly the glow can fade after a mountaintop experience? You have a great time in worship and then you have to fight traffic on the way out of the parking lot. You argue with your kids over what the plans are for lunch. You get a troubling text from a friend or a family member. It's not even Monday yet and already the world is catching up with you. the camaraderie of a mission trip, the spiritual high after a trip, the serenity of a soul care day, these things fade quickly, don't they? We get up in the morning, we have a wonderful time of devotion with the Lord and his word, and then we pick up our phone and check the newsfeed and read about another shooting or scandal or disaster somewhere in the world. The mean streets of life can knock the stuffing and the faith right out of you in a moment. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Every parent in the room can feel this father's anguish. Your child is sick or in trouble, and there's nothing you can do to help them. Every person in this room can feel the desperation of a prayer when someone you know or love just seems to be beyond the reach of help, and you've tried everything, and all you can do is say, Lord, if you can do anything, And isn't it wonderful that that simple prayer is enough Isn't it wonderful that all we need to do is turn to God in a moment like that? Isn't it wonderful that even with doubt and confusion mixed in, if we just bring it to God, He can do something with it? Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Isn't it wonderful that God can handle our doubts and our questions? Don't ever let anyone tell you that if you only had more faith, your loved one would be healed or saved or whatever it is you're praying for. Jesus never asks for more faith. He just asks us to bring whatever faith we have to him. Even if it's mingled with doubt, even if it's only the faith of a mustard seed, he says, bring what you have to me and I'll take it from there. And that's what he does here in this story. He rebukes the evil power that had taken hold of the young man. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. What a moment that must have been. Imagine the hug between that father and son as they throw their arms around the other. I imagine the father looking over his son's shoulder, smiling, with gratitude to Jesus, as he and the boy turn and head towards home to share the good news with the family. I imagine the crowd broke up pretty quickly. The show was over at that point, and so they ran off to tell people what they'd seen. The religious leaders skulked away, plotting their next move, and the disciples are left scratching their heads. What went wrong? Why couldn't we drive it out? they had done it before many times. Why not this time? So as soon as they could, they, they got Jesus alone. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now what did Jesus mean here? Did they forget to say the magic words? Was there some secret incantation, number 43, that you pray in extreme cases like this? I don't think so. What Jesus is saying very simply is that this kind can come out only by staying close to me. Only by living in moment-by-moment dependence on me see, as much as we need those peak experiences, those mountaintop moments to sustain us, we also need those everyday moments, those mean street, moment-by-moment dependence upon the Lord. There are all kinds of ways to pursue that moment-by-moment relationship. We've talked about them before. The simple practice of spending time alone with God morning, noon, or evening, a few minutes to read the scripture and reflect on it, to talk to God about what's on your heart, to surrender yourselves again to his spirit and his call on your life for that day. Recently, I've been trying to pray each day just a simple prayer like that to start the day. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this day. Fill me with your spirit today and show me one person I can share your love with today simple prayer like that. I don't get it right every day, but it is amazing the difference that a simple prayer like that makes in my, my sense of God's presence in my life. It's amazing the opportunities I found to share his love. Thank you for the gift of this day. Fill me with your spirit anew and show me one person I can share your love with today. There are other ways to cultivate that moment by moment dependence praying over our meals as we go through the day, listening to Christian music, memorizing scripture and reflecting upon it, connecting with other believers in the course of the week, and the spiritual practices of fasting and silence and solitude we talked about a few weeks ago. The point is as much as we need those mountaintop experiences from time to time, we need those moment by moment experiences. Just as much. The mountaintop moments center us in God, and the mean street moments drive us to our knees. So here's our final invitation of this series We are invited to stay close to Jesus through the ups and downs of life on mission. We are invited to stay close to Jesus through the ups and downs of life on mission. Because as we learned last week, following Jesus, living on mission is not easy, safe, or predictable. If we're going to sustain our go, we're gonna to need to meet him in those peak moments and walk with him in those everyday moments. We're gonna to have to find this rhythm of worshiping weekly and daily depending. This rhythm of gathering with his people and then scattering to everyone we know. This rhythm of of retreating from the world and then going out into the world, this rhythm of being with Jesus and going with Jesus. We've been learning all along the way, living on mission isn't just about going, it's also about being. And that's one of the reasons I'm really excited that we're gonna be turning the corner next week to our Christmas season. Now, Advent doesn't begin officially for two Sundays, but we're going to begin Christmas next Sunday. And we're going to spend the month of December just being with Jesus. Our theme for the month is Peace Be With Us. And every week, we'll be designing worship services and messages that are designed to lead us to holy moments in which we personally experience God's peace. But then... In the middle of the week, we're going to provide you with a devotional tool that can help you in the midst of your everyday life and journey to connect and depend on God. Again, it's going to be a great season. But as we finish up this series and as we finish up today, let me leave you with just a couple of questions. Most of us probably can identify with the disciples here. We know how challenging the life of of mission can be. So let me ask you, which of these two dimensions do you need to be attentive to? Do you need to be more consistent in your weekly worship? Or do you need to be more intentional in your daily dependence upon God? Which one is the Lord speaking to you about today? It's very clear that Jesus wants to be with us as we go through all the ups and downs. So just ask him today, what step would he have you take to stay closer to him in the days to come? But I realize it's also possible that some of you here today are feeling more like the father in this story than like the disciples. Maybe you came today with a heavy heart. Maybe you or someone you love is hurting and struggling and you don't know what to do anymore. You're... You're not sure what or if you believe anymore. You're not sure how much longer you can go on. I invite you to do what this father did. Bring your faith to Jesus. However much or little you have, bring what you have to Jesus, knowing that anything is possible for one who believes. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this journey you have taken us on over these past few months. Thank you for the richness of the scriptures, for the vivid stories and the compelling words they bring to us week after week. For the many ways you have encouraged, convicted, challenged, and empowered us. And so we pray, Lord, that each of us here today might hear you speaking into our lives, inviting us to follow you for the next step of our journey, that we might find your go, our go, your call on our lives, and know your Spirit's help as we live it out. We pray that individually and collectively we might be your people at work in the world. Lord, we pray as well for any who might be here today in a desperate need. Pray, Lord, that they might sense your presence in this moment, that they might believe in your power to heal, change, restore, set free, make new, and pray that they might bring whatever faith they have to you, because that's all you ask of us, Lord, that we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.